Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Uh, before I get to my next guest, I want to remind you that at ExitCoachRadio.com, in the audio library section, you can listen to over 750 different interviews that are categorized into 40 different file folders, so you can easily find a, a favorite uh, advisor by searching by their last name or look by topic. Uh, tremendous amount of information and wisdom in there. Hope you'll go there and listen in and learn uh, so that you can help your business be well planned. My next guest is James Whitmack, and he's with Intellivest Advisors. He is the master strategist in that group, and Intellivest Advisors helps small to medium-sized companies prepare for their exit by driving profitability through operational efficiency. And today we're going to talk with James about the three most important things a business owner should be doing that they aren't doing now. So always good advice. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, James, let, let's start off by telling us a little bit about Intellivest Advisors and how did it get started and a little bit about you. I was a turnaround expert and troubleshooter for 12 years, ran my own business for eight years. I had a very successful business in the explosive growth stage that was stolen from me at gunpoint. I built it from scratch into an internationally recognized company and got into a desperate cash situation because it was growing so fast. As an entrepreneur, being naive, I thought I could do it on cash flow. After that, as I was driving back across the border, I decided that I was going to do everything I could and it became my passion to help other entrepreneurs not be in the same situation. So I got into uh, an investment advisory role, helping companies with risk management, but that's not where I wanted to be. I went with a management consulting firm out of Chicago on a national basis, flying around the country, but living in San Diego, I didn't want to fly around the country, so I simultaneously started Intellivest Advisors back in 2000 and have been helping entrepreneurs succeed since then. Interesting. So out of out of a dilemma that you had and an aha moment that you had at some point, um, this company was born and now you now you help others to avoid some of the mistakes that you made. Tell us a little bit about your situation with the cash flow problems that you were having. And, and again, you're, you said you, you thought you could manage out of it with cash flow and that just wasn't the case. Uh, illuminate us a little bit about that situation. Well, like a typical entrepreneur, I got into business, and then I started to figure out how to succeed. I uh, had invented a furniture finish and realized that the furniture industry needed one thing, on-time delivery. And I started a business based on those two premises, and it became very successful, and I started growing very, very rapidly. Through the rapid growth, I was frantically trying to get a plan in place as I was growing it, which is not the way to do it. And uh, the uh, employees were being hired frantically. The workers were being hired frantically. And clients were coming to me in droves. I wasn't prepared financially for that. It, when I started the company, 
because of the success, I thought the cash flow would sustain me. And I could keep growing on cash flow, but growth started happening so quickly. I had uh, employees uh, leaving the company to start their own business to compete with me and all the different things that happened with an entrepreneur. In the process of helping that succeed, I went to people who had talked to me when I initially opened the company. And they said, Jim, anytime you need some money, just come to me. So I went to those people, and they said, where's your plan? What's your exit strategy? How do I get my money back? And I didn't have time to put any of that together to any think about it because things were growing so fast. So I got involved in a uh, Mexican uh, partner who offered to help me fund the growth of the company. I went down there, and after six months, he pulled the gun on me and at his desk and said, I now own the company. See you later. And uh, that's that's how that whole thing evolved. I did not have a plan in place. I had no exit strategy, and I had no growth strategy as far as the funding needs. And uh, that's kind of how that evolved. So you're not kidding about uh, gunpoint there. Okay, so nope. – uh, <laughs> Okay, nope. so – Look, I mean, this is this is a huge problem. A lot of of our listeners face is that uh, you you can't plan the battle, the, the, you know, you can't plan the battle at the front line, right? And you can't plan. Correct. Uh, you you have to think in advance. It's kind of like a hurricane. You 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 can't wait until the hurricane's there to go out and and start shoring up the the, the windows and whatnot. So, how far in advance would you have preferred to have been in front of that whole scenario? Plan. Well, I would have liked to have put a plan together from the get-go, looking back at it, and a funding strategy in place. Like like all entrepreneurs, or let me rephrase that, like some entrepreneurs, uh, I had a very successful product, and I had high demand for it, and I thought that my uh, savings, retirement savings and cash flow would sustain it. And I would just keep growing on that, and banks would want to loan me money. I found out through the funding process that people want to loan money to a company with high profits. They want to loan money to a company who's got some sort of collateral. I burned through all that. So uh, I I didn't have high profits because I couldn't get the product out fast enough to supply demand. So I was always scraping for product to be able to manufacture to supply the demand. And it's a vicious Mm -hmm. cycle that I would not have been in had I had a plan from the get-go. Yeah, we, we, you know, I guess the industry calls that growing broke. Growing broke. Yes. Not not going broke. Exactly. Growing broke. Now, let let me ask you, so with with all that you learned from that, when you first get involved with uh, people today, uh, you talk about funding and all this type of a thing. What's what's an interesting funding story you can share with us? Well, I've got a, a variety of them. I helped raise $100 million for a startup company that was a global company. A, uh, an entrepreneur came to me and asked me if I could help him raise $10 million. This when I was in the investment advisory business. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I, I asked him, well, what, what do you need it for? And we had lunch and talked about it, and after analysis, discovered it was actually $100 million he needed. The money he needed was not from uh, the app, for the appetite of American investors. It was more of a global investor appetite. So I put a team together, and uh, we raised 
$100 million in seven months. What was interesting about the team was now it's acutely obvious that it was a very sensitive situation. The person looking for the money was a Sunni Muslim, and the point man I had on the team was a Shiite Muslim. And we actually ended up getting the money from uh, from England. We'd gone to Russia, Ukraine, and all over Europe talking to funding sources to acquire the money. And uh, that was probably the most interesting because I was up all night talking to the people seeking the money about how to uh, go to the next, navigate to the next location to get the funding. Some of my time was spent listening to the Shiite Muslim and the Sunni Muslim uh, tell me how much they didn't like working with each other. But it turned out to be a successful process. <laughs> that was probably one of the more interesting ones. And I, then I, on think, the, I think a lot of people would probably be interested to, to hear how it determined that they needed 10 times the, the, the money that they thought they needed from the onset. <clears throat> the entrepreneur approached me and, and he did not do an in-depth analysis of the industry. He just was taking a look and reading about the industry and surmised that it was probably going to take about $10 million. But the reality, through actually doing the market research and determining what was needed to get this company off the ground and ramp it up, it was 10, it was 10 times that. Wow. So he had not he had not done a in-depth market research on, on the product. He was just aware of it and, and talking to people, that's what he surmised it was, $10 million. Now, that's an initial funding story. Tell us about, because you do turnarounds and get involved with those too. Tell us a story about a turnaround that you've been involved with. Well, <clears throat> there's been a, quite a few different turnarounds. Um, mostly, when I go into a company, I'll find out what the entrepreneur's perspective is on how things are going for them. And uh, many entrepreneurs determine that they're successful by vacations they can take and money they've got available for things they want to buy and mortgages they want to pay. And because entrepreneurs uh, usually aren't financially oriented, they're trusting their CFO or their accounting people to be able to manage the money side. When I ask them what the value of their company is, they'll often not know. And one thing an entrepreneur has to know every minute of every day is what the value of his company is in case somebody wants to buy it or needs it to leverage for more cash flow. The uh, other question I'll ask is what their EBITDA is, which uh, tells me whether or not they're familiar with their financials. And uh, if they don't know the answer to those two questions, I'll ask them if they've got a business plan in place. And I would say more often than not, they'll say, oh, I know I did a plan because I had to get a loan a while ago. Let me see if I can find it. That tells me that the entrepreneur is more involved as a technical expert rather than a master strategist. Mm -hmm. And they've been, they've been in business for cash flow and tax advantages rather than building the company for value. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll analyze their company and take four years of financials and tax returns and interview employees and determine uh, how much more money they would have if they were running it as a 
CEO based on value management principles rather than cash flow. I have rarely come up with a scenario where a CEO in a company would not have significantly more money if they changed the way they were managing the company. It, uh, in, in one case, it was just a $2.5 million company. The CEO would have had another $340,000 in his pocket and $1.4 million on the bottom line if he were to put the recommendations into place and tighten up his systems and controls and measurables and track that and make adjustments along the way. And what most entrepreneurs don't do because they're driving the company, trying to increase cash flow and trying to increase revenues, is focus on the fundamentals of the business, which is management, operations, controls, marketing, and finance. Those are the building blocks of business. Without those in place and working uh, alongside each other successfully, a company's going to have blind spots and gaps. Mm -hmm. And through that analysis, identifying the blind spots and gaps, and then taking care of those and filling them, uh, we're able to get a company turned around pretty quickly. You know, what you what you said was it sounds like in a lot of cases, if a uh, the CEO were to be evaluated by the shareholder, usually in small companies themselves, they would probably fire themselves as CEO because uh, they weren't maximizing the value for themselves as a shareholder or other shareholders. Um, it, it, it wouldn't work well in a large corporation. It wouldn't hold water, would it? No. No. If you look at your company, regardless of the size, whether it's a, a Mary's Bead shop or an international corporation, think of it as if you've got to look at it as a stockholder. And as, as you know, Bill, entrepreneurs start a company, and part of the incorporating process is to appoint someone CEO. And they say, well, <clears throat> that should be me. And that's how they become a CEO. It's not through certification or qualifying or any other method. It's simply they happen to be the one that was in charge of the company when it was founded, and that's how they became the CEO. So a lot of entrepreneurs, they want to be king rather than be rich. And I'd say I run into the, the, uh, that situation more often than not where once they started the business, Suppliers want to talk to them. Employees want to talk to them. They are where the buck stops. And so they get a feeling that they're king and everybody wants to talk to them without really understanding exactly what it is they're doing and taking the time to be good at being a value-managing CEO. James, what you're saying is a mouthful. For a lot of our uh, listeners, they're they're thinking probably, you know, I ha- I, I may not be the best person uh, in the CEO role, if I look at it from a shareholder standpoint, maybe that's because I don't know how. I've never learned how to be an effective CEO. I don't know what it's all about. And that's where somebody like you comes in to say, well, I can help you not run your business for cash flow and tax advantages, but to be uh, really uh, running it to increase business value so everybody does better. And, and, And more importantly, the business is transferable for more value someday when, when an exit is going to occur. Um, give us one more story. You, you, those are great stories on funding and turnaround. How about a startup story? 
I had a physician that uh, wanted to uh, open up an urgent care center. She was uh, very bright, had graduated from med school at 21, graduated from high school at 12, and uh, wanted to start a practice, had put together some information and talked to banks and was trying to get some money from banks. She didn't know exactly how much she needed. Um, she had good credit and she had some good assets to use as collateral. And when I got involved with her, she was a, she had secured a, a lease on a place. And the goal was to do the tenant improvements and then open up the practice. But she had no idea how to do any of that. And getting involved with her, I recast her financials so a bank could understand them from a lender's point of view. And once they could understand them from the lender's point of view, they felt more comfortable about loaning the money, especially if I were to act as a interim financial contact for them as the business was growing, because entrepreneurs will go to a lender or investor or venture capitalist and not speak the language. And they don't have time to educate the entrepreneur on how to talk to them. So often they'll get turned down, not because they don't have a good idea, but because they don't know what to say to the investor or lender. Once uh, we got the funding in place, uh, I took over as the supervisor of the tenant improvements and coached her and worked with her along the way to get the startup in place. And we got it opened uh, within a few months. So it's it's how you it's how you approach how you message. A lot of people bang their heads against the wall. They need a they need somebody to help guide them through. Uh, James Whitmack of Intellivest Investors is that is that person. James, you've been a, a conference speaker on how to get money out of investors' hands, and Correct. you've put together uh, five books on business. Um, how do our and, and you're also a member of Provisors, which is a great group. It means you're well connected in the advisor community, especially here in California, all up and down the coast. And um, uh, I, I guess a member or uh, uh, with in the Renaissance, which helps business owners. It's a peer group, a peer advisory group. Uh, so you correct. Speak, I'm a right? form, to, form leader for, for Renaissance. Form leader. Okay, terrific. Oh, terrific. So. Obviously, uh, you have great stories, and we're running out of time today, but I'd love you to come back and tell me some more stories. But how do our listeners get in touch with you to talk to you about their situation or to have you come speak to their group? Uh, if they can go to the website, IntelliVestAdvisors.com, in the contact page, and just uh, shoot me an email. Or they can call 858-367-0751. And that's our office phone number, and leave me a message, and we'll get right back to them. I love the stories. I mean, that's how our listeners learn from um, either good good news or bad news, one way or the other. And from your experience, especially a very interesting story about how you got involved with this, will you please come back uh, someday soon and, and tell us some more, uh, uh, share some more wisdom with us, because you have a lot to share, and I really appreciate the, the way you uh, communicate with our listeners. I'd love to, Bill, and I really appreciate the time. All right, James Whitmack, thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so stay tuned.
Hi, everybody. This is Spike Rio for The Exit Coach. Business owners, can you name the eight key value drivers that you and your managers should be focusing on to increase the value of your business? Introducing the Sellability Score Index. Visit our website and answer 25 questions about your business, and you will instantly receive your sellability score, showing you how well you stack up in the eight value driver areas. It's a great management tool. It's absolutely free for our listeners. Just visit ExitCoachRadio.com and click Get My Sellability Score. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 